0: Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate.
1: Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I am your host, uh, Ben Myers, Steve Cameron. How's it going, Steve? Good day. Good day. We are starting a little bit late here. No, uh, not Mr. Not a uh, Mr. Uh, forgot. Is things. I forgot the SD card, uh, all right? Forgot the SD card. But one thing we don't forget about is our sponsor, the award-winning Nizo Studios. They're the premier one-stop digital studio for all your architectural visualization and scale model needs. Nizo can help market your project and launch your sales center, physically or virtually. Visit nizo and ask about live site the virtual sales center software. It's the media darling taking the building's industry sales process by storm. Speaking of storms, it's a nice day out. Uh, <laughs> that was a bad segue. Yeah, my segue Where are we going with that? I, I, I'm, I, I'm just trying for different segues here. So, so Steve. I was watching
2: uh, actually the last Tim and Sid. You know Tim and Sid on. Uh,
1: yes, I'm very And aware they of did Tim the last
2: show, Tim and Sid, and I was. Uh, they had some good segues. I think they have writers, but the, some of their segues, I was taking some notes, some of the things <laughs> that they were saying, you know, how are you doing today? Well, I'm great. we got listeners, and they could be anywhere in the world right now, but they chose to be here with us, so couldn't be better. But I couldn't be better because we have a very exciting guest.
1: <laughs> that is an excellent segue. <laughs> I've
2: been practicing. Uh, my little cart ride down to Young and Eglinton, I was thinking about how I was going to do this intro, but let me... Uh, let me do a little bit of a preamble before we bring him on live here. Um, very excited um, to introduce this guy, but I will say that finding his bio online, either on his website or LinkedIn, was a little bit difficult. But luckily, today's guest spent a hot minute in the NHL, so I thought I'd start with a quick hockey DB search. An absolute stud in the OHL, Scott McClellan played two years for the Niagara Falls Flyers, followed by two years with the illustrious and storied franchise, the Peterborough Peets, where in 1982, he put up an impressive campaign with 43 goals, 58 assists, for a total of 101 points, and 38 pims in just 65 games. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. My favorite line. <laughs> Although, if I played on a line with Stevie Y, you know, I may have been able to rack up a couple points myself too, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Scott went on to play pro for a few years coached from junior hockey before settling into a very nice career in real estate development, first at Tridell and now as Senior Vice President of Plaza Corp. Plaza is one of Toronto's leading condo developers and builders, with over 4,700 suites sold in the last six years, translating to over $2 billion in sales. McClellan also oversees sales, marketing initiatives, new business opportunities, customer service care practices. His duties also include product design, pro forma analysis, and revenue management. He has been an active participant in the industry for over 25 years, a true legend in the industry, and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Mr. McClellan, welcome. To the show, <laughs> the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Was that really in a bio somewhere? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> I added that in today after wow. you didn't give me a hard time for being an hour late, no, setting up the equipment, and finding the card. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that that that's great. Yeah,
2: that was a mouthful, but it was. Uh, yeah, it was. That was pretty good. Not bad. It, yeah, it sure. So tell me, like, that, that's a lot of points.
0: Yeah, I never hundred one pl- points, and I did not play on the same line with Steve Eiserman. It's really? really funny. We were. I took my son last year uh, to Detroit to see a game just before. It was probably last October. And we went in into the offices, in the, the Red Wings offices, and we sat down with Steve. We played together for a couple of years. But uh, there was a, a – Jimmy Davilano was also in the room. And Jimmy Davilano said to a reporter, this is this was Steve Iserman's right winger. And he played on the line with Bobby Urey and uh, another ex-Detroit Red Wing. And, and, the, and Steve was the one that corrected. He said, no, we never, ever played on the same line together. Yeah. I played with Ken Strong and Doug Evans. Um, and Iserman played with uh, Bob Erie, who had a long, long career in the National Hockey League, and Scott Toddle. Uh, who's a player that we were both talking about and stunned that he never actually went on and had an NHL career. He was drafted by Vancouver, but never never got to play. But I ne- no, I didn't play on his line. We had two really balanced lines. Let, let's put it this way, our third line that year in Peterborough was uh, Derek Smith, who played hundreds and hundreds of NHL yeah. games. Dave Reed, who won two Stanley Cups with Dallas and with uh, Colorado. Um, and they played with a fellow by the name of Steve Sagan, who ended up having a pretty decent career with the Los Angeles Kings. So.
2: Any relation to um, Tyler? No, 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 no. Because there was another guy in, on the team, I was looking on the roster this morning, and he, oh, his last name, anyway, his similar last name to someone who's a, who's a stud in the show right now, cannot remember did I write it down? I can't remember who it was. That was on our team in Peterborough? Yeah, yeah.
0: Would have, would have been no relation. No, okay. No, I, no, I would have probably been able to see but that had, together. But you had Craig but,
2: McTavich on that team. You had Ray Bork, Mike Milbury. Yeah. so I mean, a I, couple all-stars.
0: Yeah. So when I got to go up and play for the Bruins, um, you know, it was interesting because it was that same year. It was the 82-83 season. And uh, um, I had played. I, so I was at training camp that year. I drafted two years earlier, but I was at my second training camp, clearly going back to junior. But they put me in a couple of exhibition games. Uh, which were, you know, I I was stunned that I was going to get that opportunity because they don't usually put juniors, unless you're a first-round pick, they don't put junior-age players in NHL exhibition games. And it's not like it is now. Like, you know, fans are paying big money to go watch, you know, Boston and Philadelphia at the Boston Garden. They want to see Ray Bork and they want to see Wayne Cashman and they want to see, you know, Rick Middleton and Barry Peterson and they want to see all the stars on the team. So it's harder to even get into games and the coaches want to see their regulars playing. Um, so to get into those games was pretty neat. I got to travel with the players. We, you know, we, we did all those kinds of things. And then I got called up later that year to play some games for the Bruins. Um, and, and our team, that Bruin team, I, I, I want to say finished first overall in the league. They had 50 wins. Wow. Wow. Um, in an eighty-two or eight, the 82, 83 80, season, and they ended an eighty-two
2: game or seventy-two game season.
0: Uh, no, it would have been 80, 80 game 80 season games, back yeah. then. Um, and and then the Bruins, and then I was up in the playoffs after my junior career was over. I was a black ace or a, an extra player that they had, sort of in practice and things like that. But and uh, we lost to the Islanders in six games, and then the Islanders beat Edmonton in four. So wow. it was it was a really really good. Was that the Danny club? Potvin Islanders? Yeah, yeah. Well, that would have been a tough, uh, tough yeah. go. Eh? Oh you know, yeah. Uh, so they, uh, they they that was the year that they won the cup and they beat Ed, like I said they beat Edmonton rather handily. Yeah, and then Edmonton. That that was it. Edmonton decided that they were going to c- control the league for the next few years. <laughs> yeah. and all those young guys learned what it took to win, I think, and and started becoming a dynasty. Exactly.
2: And,
1: and so, how did you decide uh, when to retire? You didn't want to have a long AHL
0: career or something like that. You know, it's it's always good to blame things like on injuries when you want to retire. The truth the truth is, they help. Management helps you retire if you're not good <laughs> enough. Fair, fair. <laughs> Good way to put it. So, no, I, you know, I I played in the American League for a couple of years and I was, I was still under contract and I I really didn't want to play, like if if I didn't think I was going to be an NHL player, I didn't want to be sort of 25 years old and in my, you know, fifth or sixth year of pro hockey and not, probably not going to get a chance to play in the NHL again. Um, Yeah, it sort of made my decision fairly easy. I wanted to come back and go to school. Back to Toronto, back to Canada, and uh, and start to go down a bit of a different path. There, there were injuries, but that I, you know, it's be easy to blame my my career on a on a career ending injury. That's just not the case. I just wasn't good enough, huh? And and did how you did get, you? you did get drafted though? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I was I was drafted by the Bruins. In, what year or what uh, round? Sorry, what round? So I went seventy seventh overall uh, in the uh, eight, 1981 NHL entry draft. Hey, listen. That's uh, something that
1: most little boys grow up dreaming of, just getting that far. So yeah, yeah. it's very impressive. So and, and so, so how did how did you end up meeting Tony Morrow and get into coaching hockey?
0: So, you know, I, I came back to Toronto and uh, I was skating with the St. Michael's Buzzers because I still wasn't a hundred percent sure what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I, you know, didn't know if I wanted to keep playing or not. There was, I, I played in Hershey the year before. Hershey was Philadelphia's American League team. Hershey kind of wanted me back there. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'll stay in shape. If something happens here in the next little bit, maybe I'll consider going back and playing again. I thought if I, you know, if I ever dealt Delta Philly, Philly wasn't a great team back in those days. You know, maybe I can get, you know, the Bruins were a Cracked the team. lineup. It was, it might be, you may get a better chance. Right. Um, and while I was skating with the St. Mike's Buzzers, their coach resigned and i'm like 24 years old um and i started the coach and i kind of liked it and uh uh you know so you start to meet people in the business world i started to meet people through uh, through st mike's the tri- Tridell owned a hockey team that played in that same tier two league called the thornhill thunderbirds so tony morrow was very involved that's how i met tony and then a couple of years later um, we got talking one day and he said, uh, you know, may- maybe, rather than go back to school, why don't you take an entry level position at our company, see how you like it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, th- the rest is history. I did that. I went and took a- an entry level position. Worked uh, on a site. Worked doing retrofit work. Worked trying to understand, uh, you know, how to how to market standing inventory back in the early '90s. Yeah. Like just think about it. That yeah. was what our industry was like. Buildings were being built with five percent deposits, fifty percent pre-sale, which means by the time they were built, based on where the economy was going back in those days, you're sitting with half your buildings with empty inventory. So I started learning sales processes and and. You know construction processes finishing off units uh, trying to trying to work with interior designers to finish off product and that sort of grew into a, a a bit more of a sales and marketing role there and then i became uh the vice president of sales and marketing and jim ritchie became a senior vice president of sales and marketing we had different uh different roles within within that department and uh yeah it it, it happened quickly. Huh. So was this the, so
1: when did you start? Was it was the late eighties or early nineties? It was 1989 actually. Oh, so yeah. in the middle of the, yeah. Uh,
0: perfect time to get into the industry. <laughs> yeah. Perfect H- time to learn and train. Hockey, anyways. Was, hockey was way
1: safer. I'll tell you. Yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, I remember the numbers like in the early nineties, there was really only Tridel and conservatory group that, Finished condo buildings,
0: right, <laughs> right. And I, but I, I think Monarch too. Monarch and Aging Court had a, had a few projects that were. But you're right. It was like there were no players in the game, and there couldn't be. There was no market. Right. Very very little market. What about pre-sales? Were you getting pre-sales? Or so, you were but small deposits. Yeah, we weren't. We really weren't. Uh, the, the areas where the pre downtown was dead. Can you imagine? Like downtown was completely dead. Agent Court, because of the because of what was happening in in Hong Kong and and throughout Asia, there were a number of new Canadians making decisions to come to Canada, and they and they were sort of making decisions in that sort of you know, Agent Court area of Toronto, and tried all to their credit. I mean, we were real smart in those days. We were buying up all kinds of opportunities throughout Scarborough. Um, and, and you'll see them you know you see a lot of try all I, I don't know if there's ever been another builder uh that has has worked that whole scarborough market in preparation for um the new canadians that were going to be coming over from asia from 93 until till today quite frankly but um uh, enough to really give the industry a a boost and a shot in the arm and 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 that's where that's where things had taken off. But in terms of pre-sales back in those days, it, you only needed 50%. Right. But it was not an easy thing. To 50% took a year. Wow. It took a year. So, yeah, it's a different world. And were world. you
2: going through a broker channel? I mean, if you're selling to the new Canadian or the, the Asian community, were they
0: coming over with a broker or they were already here pre-buying? No. They, they would walk into a sales office the old-fashioned way. Saturday yeah. mornings, uh, Toronto star would come to the door, and they'd open up the, the new home section. And they'd see that you know there's an opening at uh, at a at a project at you know Warden and Shepard, and they'd go there and they'd make a buying decision. Uh, the, the 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 brokerage community, the you know the dealing with realtors as 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 a as a broker broker partner for developers, that might have that may have been ten percent of the and it was ten percent of the 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 buys were were with a broker, and back in those days it was a referral fee. It wasn't a percentage of revenue, so yeah, things have changed. Interesting, a little bit. R- interesting, and, so,
2: and and sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say. So you know, it was tried out for how many years? Uh, Nineteen.
0: Eight.
2: Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, almost twenty years. Yeah,
0: basically twenty years.
2: And the big transition over to uh, Plaza to Plaza. I know yeah. you told me the story a few years ago, but why don't you share it with us? Because I think the idea or the concept of coming to Plaza when you first heard of it, you're thought no way like this doesn't make sense or it wasn't going to be a fit or something along those lines and and you sat down with anthony and you were sort of
0: like a light came on yeah is that a fair way to put it yeah so you one of the questions i first of all never thought i would leave i never never even thought about it never crossed my mind uh um i'd learned an awful lot at tridel and one of the questions he asked me was, um, <clears throat> you know, here's a look at what I have coming. Here's a look at all the thing. Here's a look at all the potential projects that I have in the next few years uh, that are in our pipeline. We own them. We've taken a majority position in them. We want to launch them. We want to become you know we don't want to be the builder that we, we we're not going to be the builder anymore that does six story uh, uh, condo projects at, at young and Lawrence we have to be different now because of all the downtown opportunities that we have um, and and he said to me he said if if you had these opportunities if you were me what would you do how, how what would you do how would you run it and I talked to him about complete branding changes uh, uh, figuring out ways to to make the customer the most important focus that you have in your business. Um, and that's not just lip service. There has to be a whole paradigm shift with everybody that's already here. Um, which which is doable. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it'll make it life a lot easier on them, but certainly, and, and, you know, in talking about making a brand change and going from Plaza Corp to Plaza and what does that mean? And it, and it means everything that's going to be customer focused, the way you deal with brokers, the way you deal with trades, the way you deal with your customer care processes. Um, so many different things, so many different components that I would love to be able to oversee. And, uh, and, and participate in daily just to watch the growth of a new brand that, that I want to I want to make sure that it's the most successful brand that there is in the city. And I, I was telling Ben earlier, I remember sitting around with our customer care team and one of the lofty goals that we had was to try and win Tarion Home Builder of the Year. I, I think that is the absolute most important award that you can win in our industry. Right. That is your purchasers, people that have put their hard-earned money on the table and have said that you are the absolute best builder that they've ever dealt with for that calendar year through the move-in process Um, from soup to nuts, from the day they signed the agreement to how they were communicated with, to the, the, the PDI, the post delivery inspection, all of those things had to be so much better than everybody else for us to get recognized against the other big brands in the city to start winning this award we won it now two of the last three years. Wow. And the year we didn't win it was because we didn't qualify for enough closings in that calendar right. year. So, uh, And that benchmark is now, it, it, we have to exceed it every year now. Every year we have to do one or two more things, and it's been really challenging with occupancies during COVID, that's so, for sure. So
2: it's been two of the last three years. So would mm-hmm. you say the buildup to getting to this point has been all, all the hard work the last, Yeah. so it's been 20 years. Have you been here 20 years? Uh, 11. 11, Eleven years. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, um, that's that's impressive. So eight years and the turnaround is you know they're trying to start to pay off. Yeah, yeah I, was me- good. I
1: was mentioning to Scott. I mean, I mean, no no uh, slag on Plaza and for whatever reason they just had a bad reputation for delivering product in the in the late two thousands, right? And yeah. uh, so when I was researching this and I saw that you guys had won two out of the last three, I almost had to like go back and like yeah. double check because yeah. it's yeah. such a difficult uh you know to 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 win because obviously your last company that you worked at puts a lot of money into being the best and winning these awards and having them on the shelf and showing them to purchasers and and that being part of the the sales Mm -hmm. process right so it's pretty amazing and i know that you guys have a uh goal of zero deficiencies which seems pretty impossible with the size of the projects that you do but you know maybe expand on how difficult it is to 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 have that type of goal
0: so when we started um our one of the things that we did um we basically started doing everything in-house sales and marketing teams customer care teams almost every component almost every every uh you know touch and feel part of the process uh we've we've taken everything in-house except for construction. And a lot of people might think, well, isn't that the most important? And yeah, it absolutely is the most important. But we we, we decided, uh, we started doing work with TMG. Now TMG is run by Tony Morrow, who was the former CEO of Tridel. Um, and we thought that things like his buying power, uh, the fact that he understands the, the whole zero, zero deficiency philosophy that I used to talk to him about on a regular basis, we thought that we were very compatible for each other's brands. And it's worked out extremely well, by the way, they've done probably 10,000 units for us or suites for us that, uh, that have closed and, 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 have been perfect. So the whole zero deficiency benchmark, um, it, we, we put our suites through three different PDIs. So the construction people, turn it over to the customer care people, and that goes through an inspection. So we, we just like a homeowner would come in, fix the fix the door, fix the window, paint touch up over here, um, uh, or, order a new part over there, and those kinds of things happen. The next step part of the process is uh, customer care now takes it over and they, they go to their pre-delivery inspection person that's a full-time employee here at Plaza, and the same thing happens. They go through another really, really challenging PDI inspection. Then when the purchaser comes in, at that stage, you should almost be at zero deficiencies. I mean, it's gone through two or three really, really strenuous, uh, uh, hard test, if you will, um, uh, inspections. Now the purchaser comes in and they sit down, they, can, they, they do an inspection with our, our on-site customer care representative, and we send a maintenance person in. So that, you know, if if something has to be adjusted, we fix it right there, right in front of you. And that person has a white overall plaza. uh, uh, um, That's pretty cool. I like that. So when you leave, the goal is to have zero deficiencies. Now, you can't always do that. But you will be contacted every single day to let you know the status of that scratch on the wall and, and what it's going to take to fix it. The trust that we've been able to gain with our purchasers is, I don't even know how you measure it, but it's incredible. And they talk about it all the time. We've ha- I've had a number of brokers this week when we're launching 400 King Street say, hey, I just closed at Yorkville. I just closed at the Met. Um, our suite has zero deficiencies in it. Never seen that before. So yeah, it, it's a little bit of extra effort. It goes a long way. So do you attribute
2: some of this? I mean, Tony Morrow is obviously a competitive guy. His son is a, an athlete, a good hockey player. Yeah. Is, is there any correlation to the just the competitive nature to be the best that that's sort of trickled over into uh your business career
0: yeah there's no question i mean i, I grew up and i grew up as a as a kid in toronto tony morrow was a, a household name with the toronto argonauts i mean everybody that's knew, right he was on the Argos. yeah for for many Correct. years and those are the days when the toronto argonauts were toronto a big Maple deal Leafs, they were 50 whatever cne held held i've heard fifty thousand. i don't think it was that many but whatever that there was capacity every single home game and he was a star player on the team and uh um. Everybody in Toronto knew him. I, I, you know, I used. To, I, 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 don't want to embarrass him, but I will if he was sitting in front of me. But he <laughs> used to go to this pizza place at Rogers Road and Dufferin to sign autographs. And I used to go wait on a Saturday morning to get his autograph. So yeah, no, and and his son Mark. Wait, hold on, are you telling me the athletes are eating pizza before the game? Yeah, no, this was <laughs> they didn't play Saturdays. They played Sunday. Oh, okay. So, uh, th- And it was free. So there's no question Tony was going to show up. (laughs) (laughs) Now we've got to make sure he listens to this. Um, And and his son, Mark, uh, uh, you know, was a high pick in the National Hockey League. He was drafted by uh, the Ottawa Senators, Senators, uh, traded to Nashville, uh, was was in Anaheim system for a while, traded to the Leafs, played some games for the Leafs. Most of his career was played with uh, with Nashville. And he did have a, a rather serious knee injury. And, uh, he played a
2: while with the Marlies too. After yeah, the he Danny. did. Yeah,
0: right. I believe he he's captain on every team he's right. ever played for. He's that. He's a, a complete leader. So was his dad. Um, um, and that's there is a lot. That, that clearly, that was a path to their successful business careers.
2: Interesting.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I don't I mean,
2: know. I don't know Tony or, or Mark well, but I will tell a funny story. When I was young, as actually as you know, uh, I was sick and I went through chemotherapy and I was at sick kids, I had lymphoma and actually. My first interaction with Scott was uh, we were down in Boston and, and you got us tickets to the game and I always remembered that that was uh, that was an amazing experience. I think we sat in the front row. Front, was, yeah, they
0: were Harry Sinden seats. Yeah, they yeah. were awesome. And yeah, my dad yeah.
2: said, "Oh, I got this buddy he got his seats and it was the first time I thought my dad might be kind of cool." But anyways, <laughs> fast forward uh, you know to the summer of that year, I, I went to uh, a camp for kids with cancer called Camp Ujigaeus, which is a big they do the big run down down uh, Young Street with Sporting yeah, Life. And one of the counselors there was—I can't remember her name—but she was dating uh, Mark Morrow, and she used to tell me stories about her boyfriend, who was this big, hot, hot shot hockey player. And I, you know, I was—I was playing AAA right before this. I got sick, and I always had this sort of like vision of Mark being this uh, pretty heroic guy, and and then grew up to get into the industry and. I, I you know it's funny like I've never reached out and I actually think they got married and her and I were close she was she was amazing like became sort of my friend there I was the oldest camper and she was one of the youngest counselors so we were friends and anyway I just you telling that story it's a uh, small world all all circles back but uh, anyway I should reach out to them or maybe maybe we got to go get Mark and Tony on the show yeah oh
1: yeah I mean uh, I think it's that could cons- be the segue yeah there the you construction go construction side yeah. is, is, is uh, I find fascinating because I just don't know enough about it right yeah. so it's Find it interesting to to talk to when we had Stuart on talking about cost consulting, and we, maybe need, maybe we need to get Nile on Nile Finnegan. Yeah, no, Nile's on great the list guest is uh, as well. So yeah, so walk us through it. So you know, I, I think I was reading you know an article that you uh, that you were quoted in where you said that you wanted Plaza to be a leading lifestyle brand. So what what, what do you mean by that? Is this part of the whole
0: zero deficiencies? Is this something different? Yeah. So on top of the zero deficiencies in the whole process about getting you into a plaza home. Um, you know, we want to make sure that you know we 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 continue to raise the bar on, on greening our buildings, on lifestyle in terms of the finish of the quality, the the appliance packages, the um, the whole amenities package that we offer. The lobby, we we want you to feel like you're in a five star hotel, and we want you to feel like you're in a five star hotel uh, when you move into your hotel ready condominium. So the whole the part of that whole feel-good thing at the beginning um, sort of goes away if you're moving into a, a building that isn't hotel ready and and you know there's there's trades tramping through your elevators and just not making the whole move-in experience as well and that's not an easy thing to do and we don't get it right all the time like I you know uh, that that's a big part of the whole lifestyle brand uh, we want we want to be synonymous with high-rise living in the downtown core that we want our name to be synonymous with luxury with uh, uh, customer care with amenities um, those are those are things that have been really important to us in the last 10 or 12 years and we're we're getting there you know there's some, certain projects may not allow you to maybe reach the benchmark that you want to you want to get to um, just because of you know, the, the size of a project, uh, the, the amenities uh, m- may be a little less than some some of the projects we have. Others, we we think we exceed it. But we're certainly always going to be recognized for for what we do deliver, and that's a big part of the lifestyle brand. Yeah. And you said that you're something like 40% of your purchasers are repeat purchases. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's crazy. It, and it's amazing how very seldom do we have – brokers that we haven't been dealing with now in the last 10 or 11 years, because they feel comfortable bringing their clients to us because they will not be embarrassed. And um, yeah, it's about 40% of our buyers are, now sometimes that's not an easy thing to measure either because it could be a family member. So yeah, we're buying from you. My parents bought from you seven years ago at at Yorkville and now we're buying you know your project in Mississauga. So that's the kind of word of mouth and, and the great thing about it is we don't have to spend as much money on our marketing budgets. We, we sort of go to our website, we launch a project, and we do sort of a, a soft opening, which ends up being... Forty or fifty percent of the of the units sometimes, but again, it's a lot of it's word of mouth and a lot of it is friends telling friends, and certainly brokers getting back on on the phone to their uh, or communicating uh, with their with their databases and, and bringing them and making buying decisions. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, not,
2: go ahead. So no, it sounds like it sounds like that's what you've brought to the organization in the last you know over the last decade is, is just idea of, of the vision of, of marketing and and being a household name that really delivers an excellent product. Um, but I am really curious, and I know I've asked this sort of already, but I'll ask it again. You know, just listening to you talk and, and knowing you and knowing Anthony, because we've looked at deals with Anthony, I met with him. I mean, you guys are very different, but obviously have worked well, extremely well together. And your vision, he bought into whatever answer you gave him to that question um, 11 years ago. He, he, he said, Yeah, this is the way we need to go. I guess my question is like what's your key skill and and then on top of that what's Anthony's key skill you know like and, and where and where's where do you guys meet like where's the synergy in the middle that have allowed you guys to to work so well together and build such an amazing company
0: Anthony has a great vision of sites that are are going to work down the road I mean if you take a look at you know Liberty Village projects that we've had at say 525 Adelaide the Musée project 400 Adelaide um even prior to my being here, if you take a look on, on Stafford or areas that probably were B areas back in those days when there were lots of AAA opportunities still available, he saw the opportunity to get in there, sell 50 or 60%, start construction, and then take advantage of the, the, uh, 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 the appreciation of some of the unsold product and then sell it in, in, uh, in inventory. And do very, very well, and be, only because he, he's been able to get in and watch a market grow, watch a, mm-hmm. a community grow. Um, he's, he has a great skill set for that. Um, Anthony's financial mind, I've never seen anybody like it. He's got some really interesting ways for our company to find capital to make land purchases and, and stay very, very relevant in the condo scene in Toronto. Um, he, those are skill sets that he has. I, I think I complement a lot of what he's doing with you know the marketing and the sales and the relationship side. I deal quite often with our joint venture partners our, on a day-to-day basis. Deal with our joint venture partners um, and the operational side of the business. Uh, you know, Anthony would probably like to see me run that, and yeah. and he's there as a sounding board. Uh, if if he wants to get involved in a certain topic or a certain discussion, he he doesn't do it from a I own the place, kind of, pers- you know. The, the doesn't doesn't come at it that way at all. He he becomes a team member at that stage of the game and 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 works on consensus and and buys in. But and I think that those are the those are the kinds of things that make us incredibly compatible. Um, and and it's been a really good uh, it's been a really good sort of partnership for yeah. the last eleven years. Definitely. And and it's and the success has been in with our employees and our product and our and our purchasers. So. Yeah,
1: what's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it makes makes me think of a, uh, you know, most high-rise developers are buying lands with a, you know, they want to get it under construction in five years, at least start the sales in five years. And I noticed that you guys have started buying lands that are more 10, 15 right. years out. What kind of brought about that, you
0: know, kind of change in philosophy? Uh, y- y- the one thing that you can't control is, are the costs. So, you know, construction costs continue to go up. Uh, DCs continue to go up. If you can lock land in, if you can buy land today and you're going to, you know, you're going to, sure, you're going to have carry on that land. When you are ready to go to the market and generally speaking, it's market that, we we make those buying decisions in places like, you're going to laugh at this, but Young and Wellesley 14 years ago was not the most desirable condominium location. It simply wasn't but we knew one day that it would be, because as the city starts to grow, we knew there's 100,000 people coming here. It's paramount to be on a subway. It's paramount to be close to you know restaurants and, and all those kinds of area amenities. So 14 years ago, we paid market at the time for a site at Young and Wellesley. Well, when we go to launch it 14 years later, um, we probably would have penciled out at about 25% of the value of the land uh, when we when we opened, and it gave us a real competitive edge in the marketplace to sell it, construct it, and close it. So that's one of the that's one of the strategic um, edges, competitive edges that we have is that Anthony has great vision about what's going to work in seven or eight years from now. He, he does an amazing job at it. Uh, sometimes I think it's a bit risky, but he's proven me wrong every single time. Can you, yeah. can you
2: imagine buying that site and that was 2007, right? yeah so you buy it a site probably paid quote unquote top dollar for the site at the time because it, sure. it's a major major intersection and then next year all of a sudden the bottom falls out in 2008 hits and you know there could have been a knee jerk reaction to sell or flip or try and build right away. But when you think about it now, 2008, I mean, you say 14 years ago, it sounds like a long time ago. You say 2008, it sounds like yesterday. I don't know what that is. Mentally, it doesn't sound like that long ago. But hey, hold on, and now all of a sudden, you, you probably would have never in your wildest dream pro Form at 1400 what i don't know what you're getting there or got there 13
0: well it was t- it was it was a few years back yeah, okay. but still but the, you're, you're right the margin you're was to sell huge. today you're,
2: you'd be i think i think uh, eight wellesley just launched and they're at fourteen twenty. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fourteen twenty-five. Yeah.
0: 2007 it was units
1: were selling at 300 bucks a foot 350 yeah. bucks a foot right, right? at that location <laughs> right so like 40 yeah. and 46 wellesley were like on the market for a long time no one was buying them right that's right that's (laughs) exactly true
0: and land was probably 20 bucks a foot back then yeah Yeah. when you made a buying decision yeah that's crazy (laughs) well i remember
2: when land hit 100 bucks a foot and everyone thought that the world was like insane and they didn't know how to make sense of it and we were crazy for even under you know we'd show it to partners or investors and they were saying we're nuts you know and the buyers are already buying at 110 and we're looking at older stuff at
0: 100. And um, anyways, I remember when it hit two hundred. <laughs> so. yeah, you know, it, you know, we all sound. You know, it, it's crazy. I remember when construction costs hit a hundred bucks a foot on on saleable, not on not on gross, but on saleable product because you're running pro formas against uh, the revenues, and everybody was like, oh, that's it. The industry's done hundred bucks a foot for construction." <laughs> now it's like 450 four fifty four or four seventy five, yeah. and pushing five in a lot, yeah, of, exactly. a lot of cases. So. It's it's amazing how this whole market's evolved in every way possible. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was yeah. just thinking like uh, obviously you guys do a lot of work with uh, Cranston Capital,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so they're you know they're uh, they're in on some of these longer term plays. They're buying into these longer term visions as opposed to shorter term deals.
0: Well, no, Cranson is is more like a, a, a banker for us. They they raise money, um, they. But the, and and that would be their role. Their role. We'll, we'll go to Cranston and we'll say, you know, let's uh, let's let's get into a situation. Not Cranston the sell sells, but the they, they go out and they find us a, a couple of hundred small investors that uh, become our partner in the land purchases. Um, and that's been very helpful. And especially when you're when you're out as a developer and you're trying to. Trying to think of creative ways to buy land and and and, and sit on it through the process. Um, it's a it's a great opportunity for individuals to go through Cranston and uh, and participate in our deals that way, and then they take a, a, a you know a, a large chunk of the profits at the end of the project. Um, we've been able in most cases to double everyone's money. So if you're putting in a hundred thousand, uh, you'll get a couple hundred thousand back. Uh, hopefully it's in three or four years from now <laughs> um, the process has taken a lot longer as everybody that's in our industry knows and that's had a little bit of an impact on on the time period in which uh, which the returns are coming uh, but that that's that's a whole Different discussion, and that's a, an industry challenge for for all of us. So, um, but our investors have been incredibly happy. Uh, they continue to come back to our, our deals through Cranston on every, every time we have an offering. So, yeah. it's been, it's been a good run. I just, I
1: just thought, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, I think of what you were selling one Yorkville at. And what the pricing is now? <laughs> it's, you know those investors probably uh, d- done fairly well
0: for themselves. So what was crazy about one Yorkville? Well, it?
1: Give us the time the time
2: frame on so that. So 2014,
0: February 2014 is when you launched. You one launched okay. and we were launching one Yorkville at a hair under 900 bucks a foot. I, yeah, it was, and everybody actually everyone's there. Wow, you guys are really going to get 900 bucks a foot <laughs> in Yorkville? Like, oh my God! Yeah, yeah. Well, it's what's it going to take? A year and a half to pre-sell it? And like, I'm already losing my hair, man. I really don't want <laughs> to hear this from from everybody, right? So, um, yeah, uh, 900 bucks a foot. The site next door to us last year sold for 1,800 bucks a foot. So, yeah. <laughs> so and Pemberton's yeah.
2: going to relaunch uh, down the street, and they're, they're going to get over
0: 2,000 for sure. Wow. Yeah, and, and everybody is going to do you know quite well there, and we're actually going to final close that project in the next few months. So.
2: It's a beautiful building. It looks yeah. good, and it. it's a nice piece. It's it's it works well. Fits well. It's the right area for a building like that. Yeah. So it's uh, that's exciting. I was actually going to mention earlier. You mentioned uh, Cranston. I was on a call with him a couple of weeks ago, and your name came up, and and he was the one who kind of sparked my, I, the idea to call you. And and he told some story about how you had a cup of coffee. He was. He said, "Oh yeah, tell me call." And I said, "Yeah, how was the cup of coffee up in the show?" <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm like yeah, I'm sure I'll love that it's one. Moonlight yeah. Graham, yeah, He's got his, uh, his small amount in the in the shell, tell, so. tell
2: me, tell us about uh, about forty king. So this is like you know 400. Yeah, 400, 400, 400. Oh, sorry, sorry. four hundred king. I
1: my, it's my type. Is it okay? Was so I was oh, gonna <laughs> say forty king is
2: probably young and young and king. That doesn't make sense. Trip, you know, AAA site, center ice site. Yeah. I mean this is this is uh,
0: this is a showstopper. So yeah, so so we thought it was a real gem that we had and. We, we wanted to make sure we released it at the right time. When COVID hit, that was not going to be the right time. So we, we sat on it. There was no obligation for us to launch it. Um, we could wait. Uh, we could wait to see when the market was going to come back. Uh, and like I said, the, the interesting thing about that site was you know, a lot of the other downtown sites had smaller suites, smaller units. And we had 45% twos and threes. So 35% twos and uh, 10% threes. Um, so we, again, we wanted, timing was everything. Centre Court, um, launched 8 Wellesley and they did a fantastic job. It was well received in the marketplace. There was clearly a pent up demand. They came out at the right time. We started getting phone calls, uh, literally at the same time they opened up saying, Hey, when are you guys going to open up as well? There's, there's enough, there's a, there's a, enough of a lineup that both projects are going to be successful. Um, we made the decision to go to market literally in two days. So we had black lines from the architects. We had a sales office that we were building in, in anticipation, right on site, um, but we weren't couldn't be ready anyway because of uh, the lockdown. We couldn't have anybody at it. I thought you also weren't necessarily allowed to build uh, sales offices with
2: some we of could. the restrictions. Actually, no, we could. As, oh, long, could. as, as
0: long as it's part of the sort of real estate chain, you can, you can continue to build. Uh, you can continue to build. And it was a retrofit anyway. It was sort of materials coming in, and, and it was more of a retrofit. There was not really a ton of hard construction. But the construction industry, as long as it had to do with residential, which this did, it, we weren't affected by it so much. So we had a sales office up in King City, and we thought, you know what? We'll, we'll send everything out electronically. Uh, this was a week ago. So today is, we're here, we are sitting sort of uh, on a Wednesday. This was 12 days ago now. Wow. Uh, what a turnaround. We, we sent out black lines and we sent out a, a, a not a great elevation of our building and we sent out a price list and worksheets. And, and uh, we've got about 360 of them that uh, were now in DocuSign <laughs> we now have a website that's being built or built <laughs> that's that's in that's uh, the website for the site is now up and running <laughs> out of how many units did you uh, look 616 <laughs> wow. 616 and we're about <laughs> 350 right now um, and that's before we can get into the sales office downtown. And we are going to be moving into the sales office downtown this weekend. Um, can you tell us what you sold those for on average? Yeah. So uh, the the average price in our building is fourteen. T- 1425 a foot and we're a little bit below that right now on what we sold on today. the pre-sales yeah that's yeah, great we're a little bit below wow that. that's amazing so, yeah because i mean eight wellesley did a lot of advertising and then yeah. all of a sudden i just get a broker email
1: 400 front uh i mean 400, 400. king uh, like two yeah. days
0: from now and i'm like
1: what yeah <laughs> yeah no
0: so it it did you know we they they took the lead and they uh you know they were they were aggressive enough and understood the market enough to come out with it. And, uh, I applaud them for that because it was a scary time for all of us. Like, you know, you don't know, we still don't know what's going to happen. Is there a third wave that's going to pop up? Is there going to be another, is the, lo- could the next lockdown be even worse than this one? And there's a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of unknowns, uh, that, that we have no control over yeah. quite frankly.
1: Yeah, I did a market report for a developer at a site near nearby there. And, and, uh, and uh, they shared the report with the broker. The broker called me, Ben. What are you? Why are you saying this? I can't sell this. They said they've got it from you. You know what's happening. <laughs> so I'm glad to see that uh, that you're having success. So I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't look bad if the yeah. market, you know, going down 100 bucks a foot or something. Obviously, the downtown core is, you know, it's not what it used to be right now, right? But obviously, you're selling something that's completing in. Four five years yeah. from now, yeah. right? So I think uh, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that COVID is long since forgotten when the yeah. day you occupy that building. Well, it's <laughs>
2: interesting thing with the underwriting we do too, right? I mean, even with land purchases, we'd look at a lot of apartment financing. You know, by the time you buy a piece of land for an apartment, build the apartment. Start occupying it, stabilize it. You're easily six years, easily, right? So it's, but you know, everyone wants to underrate in today's marketer in today's economy, which makes it very challenging. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to because it's the right way to do it in a lot of ways, right? Like you don't buy a site assuming in six years you're going to have massive escalations. You buy a site based on today's numbers, but with a pandemic going on that theoretically shouldn't last forever. You know, there, there, there's. You can
1: argue both sides it's, of that coin, it's, but it's difficult. Definitely difficult underwriting. Yeah. I, uh You know, and I'm generally, you know, looked at as being fairly conservative. So if if, if I say something, they know that you know they, ah, they have some they have some runway. But this week was the first time I had a client call and say, Ben, you're absolutely too high. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the client actually said, said that. No, 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 my site's not as worth as much as you think it is. That's right. <laughs> Well, that so <laughs> Theater District, you have a, a hotel, which seems the, the Ryu Hotel. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, uh, you know, not one that gets talked about as a, as a downtown hotel. How did that deal come it's funny, up? funny, I saw a Rio
2: business card on the, on the desk when I walked in. Yeah, there like, you go. Oh, <laughs> I haven't seen that logo in a long time. I uh, yeah, didn't yeah, want to no, go to Bahamas. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right.
0: So uh, they, uh, really, really interesting um, uh, brand shift that they've had. Everybody knows the, 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 the company from Spain, the Rio company, and everybody knows that they have probably above average uh, uh, all-inclusive properties in all the sun destinations, They and, and all-inclusive usually. So what they had started to do, they started looking at uh, urban centres to... To, to put their brand in and they thought that what they could do is that Spaniards travel all over the world they go to Miami they go to New York um, they go to all these sort of world-class cities and they started looking at these great urban hotels so I went and stayed at a couple of them just to get a feel and, and see what they were up to they have two properties in, in Manhattan that they have built um, finished and they're great hotels I went to the one in Miami, uh, as well, which is a a retrofit on Miami beach of one of the older hotels that was probably built back in the forties and fifties. And then they've done some new construction as part of it, but a great hotel. And I, and, and what ends up happening is a lot of European travelers that are coming to those destinations, um, stay with a brand that they're familiar with. And Rio sort of fits that, 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 uh, that requirement, um, Toronto was a destination for them. They were looking at Toronto and they felt that Toronto was a place where Spaniards would come and enjoy the city and become tourists, and they can have the Rio brand here. So they had been looking uh, for this opportunity in Toronto for a number of years, I think. I don't, I don't know exactly how long it was. And they talked to us about our, our Theatre District project and perhaps maybe doing something on the second phase where we can they could do the first 23 or 24 floors as a condo. And it's not a condo hotel. There's a big difference here. This is space that they actually own, and the condominiums above are completely different. Uh, separate entrances, so basically what they did was they bought, the, uh, they bought the space below the condo, and like I said, separate entrances. It's not something where you know, the services of the hotel can be used in the condo. It's nothing like that. So if anything ever happens to the condo, uh, there's no there's no bearing at all on the on the unit owners on the condominium residence owners um, in any way whatsoever. So it worked out. So we we did the deal um, and we sold the 23 floors above the condo and then the 23 floors below the condo. Of course, are the uh, are the uh, it's the hotel component of the structure.
2: Interesting. interesting. We actually had we were on a. what do you call that app that we were we were chatting on a couple of weeks ago with Jeremiah and Clubhouse Clubhouse and I was talking to uh, actually one of the Center Courts partners who was uh, responsible for the food hall on uh, <coughs> on Adelaide or on Richmond sorry and um, we were talking about you know I had this uh, this idea or concept you know why don't more condominiums in particular condos have better amenity spaces in particular on the ground floor and in particular in the lobby. And then I said, you know, why aren't there more lobby bars in condos like there are in hotels? Now, the combination of the hotel and the, and the uh, condo allows for that. But mm-hmm. would you guys ever consider something like that? I mean, the ground floor retail thing, its it works well in some places. In some places, I, I hate it. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it could be done better. Um, you know, like, the, like having an amenity space underneath your building if it's the right amenity is great. But I always look at these big, beautiful... Uh, actually, Ben tweeted about it. He goes, Oh, I got What a concept. Guy, people from your condo drinking in your condo lobby to, pay, <laughs> to
0: bring condo fees down. The more you drink, the lower your condo fees are. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Ben's like, This is brilliant. Yeah.
0: Have you guys ever thought yeah, about it? No, yeah. we, we have. We've looked at it a number of times. Um, I mean, if you go down to. Uh, uh, um, the the, pro, the condominium project that was built back in the 70s at Harborfront. Yeah, that's
2: uh, a big one. They have great They have a, in there. They have,
0: great, they have a great bar, and they have a great restaurant in there that's just for the residents. Was that Plaza? No, no, no it wasn't. Okay. Um, I, I actually can't remember who the builder was, but it's going back a long time. It's an time. old
2: building with big units,
0: but right. still popular
2: Fantastic. people who live in there they call it Mel- melrose place yeah. because they love it they're, yeah. they're friends with all their neighbors and they meet at the bar or the restaurant yeah but you don't see that anymore no. I, I just feel like yeah. i think it's, lost. Uh, someone
1: tweeted out that a condo corp can't make profit so there's, they can do nothing that be, can be viewed as making profit even if so. you're
2: breaking even though and creating like a neighborhood
0: within a neighborhood that's yep. how i kind of looked at it you know you get I, to know your neighbors and yeah, i agree I, I totally agree i think it'd be a really cool thing to do we've we've looked at it a few times and for whatever reason we haven't we haven't uh kicked it far enough down the road to make that decision to go for it and there are there are you know i don't i i'm not prepared to even get into what the legalities are of those kinds of things you're ben's right on one of the issues is that it's not a it's not a for-profit um uh Venture. The condo corps are not anything that can accept profit, um, so there are some legal issues with it. But it works in so many other places. I mean, like there's there's condos in in Manhattan that have it. There's condominiums, like we just said in Toronto, that clearly have it. So um, there's got to be an answer. Um, but it's something that I think would be a great lifestyle component somewhere in a in a. In a project where you know you're you are in downtown Toronto, it'd be great to come home, have a glass of wine with your neighbor, and then you know head home for your mm. uh, for your Uber delivery for dinner in a couple <laughs> hours. Yeah, so. I love going to hotel and you go down to
1: the bar yeah. and you chat with the other people and you get you, you get even you start to get to know the bartender and you've only been there for a couple of days, right. right? You know I would love to be able to just come home from work before even go up to my suite just grab a meal and hang out well, a little you, bit your meal yeah on the way
2: home and have it waiting for you in your lobby or at at your spot at the bar and you eat eat at the bar and have yeah. a glass of wine yeah, and then you exactly go up you it's,
0: it's a great lifestyle it would be an i think it'd be a really terrific lifestyle i'm on to well, something here i'm on to yeah. something yeah you <laughs> are got me thinking so what
2: else is what else is plaza doing uh differently or what other ways are you guys thinking sort of outside the box i mean this low, low rise that's the great. question so i want to ask you
1: guys are doing low rise are you doing yeah. low rise we are you're
0: doing like some small stuff on uh, Avenue Road there. Yeah, we're but doing I, some small stuff like you know we have we have like seven uh, townhouses at Avenue Road and, Bri- and Briar Hill. Yeah. Uh, we have 14 townhouses that we're doing uh um, little infill project on on Islington Avenue. So Islington South of Bloor. But but we've really we've really we're, we're we jumped straight into the deep end. We have 255 lots on 30 acres in uh, right on the King, King City Richmond Hill border on King Road. So we 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 jumped into wow. that. It's it's been an experience. We've uh, we've hired some some you know real top end talent that was available to us at the time, and, and we, we brought in some people. Uh, we're currently we have like I said we have 255 pieces up there, and we're well over 50 percent sold. So we sold out the first phase. We just started the process really back in September. Tried to do virtual sales. Built a sales office that we had ready uh, middle of October. So really, since the middle of October, um, we've we've sold more than fifty percent of the of the houses up there. And we have townhouses that are virtually all sold. And the prices that we're getting for townhouses are like one point two million dollars for twenty two hundred square foot townhomes, all freehold, no no condo at all up there. The the lots that we have are a series of semi-detached homes, but the 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 the, the primary player in terms of the product mix would be our 40-foot lots. And our 50 foot lots, um, and 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 we're selling three and four a week. It's been an incredible run. Low
2: rise business is on fire. It really
0: on is on fire. It's yeah. doing it's doing us yeah. 2017 again. So it's well, <laughs> yeah. making me a little bit nervous. You know what, what, you, what we what we were able to in the fall, late summer fall, and and I you know I still know a lot of as you guys do. I know a lot of people in the low rise business too, and they were telling me that product that was sort of under 1.2 million dollars, there just wasn't enough of it. Correct product that was over one point two million dollars was going to be slow, and that's what happened on our opening because the lion's share of what we have is over the one point two. We had townhouses under one point two, and that's all that what really was selling. Um, not anymore. It's it's taken off, and I think yeah. if I talk to those guys now, they'll say that the probably the the, the watermark would be one point six because everything we're selling is north of one six, anywhere between one six and three million.
2: Yeah, is, it sounds like everyone's yeah. launching and then cutting it off before they get ahead of themselves raising the prices yeah. selling like crazy cutting it off raising yeah. the prices it's, yeah. I was talking to it's, it's, an it's an
1: interesting game because 2017 you know low rise prices went up 45% in a single year right in the yeah, low rise new right. home business and then you know the market came back down and yeah. and developers had to lower their price and they had right to move too. the rest of the inventory and then those previous purchasers came back and started well, getting angry it and, and was
2: time to close and yeah. then they were selling the remaining units yes. at 20% less than what they bought for yeah. three years ago so they said i'm just gonna walk away unless you recut my deal yeah and it but screwed up the
0: financing it screwed up a lot of you know i mean they're on the hook for it but some people walk it so. was all driven by the appraisals that were done yeah that too yeah. yeah so that when the appraisals were done on a lot of those homes you're, which, oh yeah when it was complete you're right yeah, absolutely that's that that's what killed it absolutely and, yeah and and you know what we now now there's plans out there and we have them where you are protected your price protected so that if there ever is a downturn again or, or we run into the same issues that we had in 17, um, the, the, our, our lender will protect you against yeah. that. So those are the kinds of programs that banks I guess the banks are starting to understand as well, uh, and the lenders are understanding as well, that the low rise market is back and is going to be back for a while. The biggest concern that we have in the low rise business is probably the cost. Yeah. Things like lumber, uh, materi- materials that are affected by social steel distancing, up. steel. is up. Yeah. It's, it's most three times it, right. It's, it's mostly crazy. Lumber. It's yeah, lumber, mostly, lumber, I think, lumber's I think triple. Yeah, windows are windows are up. You know, doors are up.
2: Yeah. Uh, everything. You know, I know. It's, so we it's, got to manage terrible.
0: that. We got to really be careful in terms of managing that.
2: Yeah, the other thing too, I think that is important is uh, is make sure you take big deposits. You know? Yeah. When when the prices are going up so fast, if you yeah. have a big lineup. Who can cut the biggest check? Who will put the most cash up earlier, earlier on? Like that's who you want to sell to. Yeah. Where you get in trouble is you sell, you sell for a premium and you only put five percent down. We talked about this on on the last episode. I mean, the willingness to walk away from five percent is much higher than the willingness to walk away from twenty five. I mean, that's obvious, you know. But something to uh, yeah. to think about. And, well, and you
1: know. well, I had one more question on the condo side. I know we moved on from the condo side, but I did notice that you were that that Plaza has is, is typically been fairly, I would say, unaggressive in terms of your pricing at launch. I always feel like it's it's market, but it's not, you know, it's not one of those one price sheets I look at and I, you know, I push it back and go, oh my God. But I I did see that you were much more aggressive on the second phase of of Theater Park, and and there has uh, uh, Theater District, sorry, there has been a a little bit of a shift in in the way developers think about selling their inventory. Is that something that you think about differently? I know that you're into revenue management. Are you selling your projects? Are you holding back more inventory?
0: Yeah, we are. Um, One of the things that we think it's real important. It's real important that we provide product for both markets. What do I mean by that? I, there's two markets. There's a pre-sale market and there is a resale market. And we want to be able to, at the end of a project, take 15 or 20% of our product and compete against the resale market. Um, it's good for people that invest through Cranston. It's it's good for, for uh, you know... Profit is not necessarily a bad word. We need it so that we can buy the next piece of land and the next piece of land and the next piece of land to continue to provide housing for for Canadians and and particularly here in Toronto. Um, And it's really important that we do hold back product and we release it after we get our construction start to show appreciation for the people that bought in pre-sale. So the market will end up taking care of itself in terms of appreciation um and we want to make sure that we participate from a, a, f- a fundamental smart business practice and also as protection for our original purchasers so that's part of our strategy coming out uh below market sometimes we'll come out below market on a price per square foot situation like maybe we are right now on 400 king best that's because we have bigger units um, but at the end of the day, I want to think that we're as competitive as anybody else um, in terms of, of what our pricing is when we do launch. We do want to get sales quickly. We do want to start our construction quickly. We want to get our financing in place, lock in our trades. That's important so that we don't have that sort of take off on us because it took time. But uh, I, I can tell you that anywhere that we've opened in a new market in the last five years, for and I'll give you a crazy example If you take a look at the MET project, which is in the Vaughan Metropolitan Center at Jane and Seven, we were the first, we came out at 545 a square foot. Can you imagine that? 545 a square foot. And I had more people tell us back in those days, you're crazy, you'll never get that. Today they're getting ten fifty a square foot,
2: which is crazy. Which
0: <laughs> I still think is crazy. Yeah. I can't even get my head around yeah.
2: that.
1: So either. we need to get Jared Mankeys on the phone and go. How could you possibly do three hundred and twenty five square foot
0: units in the Vaughn right. Corporate Center, yeah. <laughs> right? So, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the things that you know we heard that you know and it's funny because after we launched and sold like ninety percent of the product, we did hold, hold a little bit back, raise the prices, and then slowly sold it out. Um, one of the things that we did here is how come you came out so cheap, and we couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> you're the same guy that called and said you're never going to get five forty-five yeah. a foot and run. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, a lot of times if we're first in and we've launched a project uh, and we've sort of value engineered the the, the the pricing matrix and the and the and the and the costs. Um, yeah maybe it did look like maybe we were on a price per square foot a little bit cheaper but generally we're we're pretty competitive with the rest of the marketplace yeah
2: before we've talked a lot about plaza and and we haven't got too much into covid or politics and ben loves to uh stir the pot a little bit so i'll ask a question on his behalf and 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 no but it's an honest question obviously there's an affordability issue in toronto you're in the business of providing homes for uh everybody not just one asset class or one you know um Sort of snack bracket of of uh, affordability being now doing low rise, uh, doing townhouses, doing you know 700 square foot units to to penthouse units, but you know how do we solve, in your opinion, the affordability issue here? And, and sort of moreover the the supply issue, you know, it's it's killing us, and everyone sees it, but maybe the politicians are blind to it. I don't know. What, what's your take
1: on this? Well,
0: you know the the affordability the. the 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 missing affordability product 20 years ago um and it was the same conversation that we were having 20 years ago which is interesting well, yeah it's just different set of numbers right now but yeah. the one thing that that was introduced to the to the buying populace in in, in the marketplace were condominiums condominiums were the affordable ownership
2: right for
0: years that's
2: the way you got into the market that's
0: how you got into the market and and you know you could you could be uh, you could be a, a sort of a, a lower income family or couple um, and you could you could afford to buy a condominium um, what's happened is if you if you you know there's there's times I would really it's hard it's it's, it's hard to uh, not bite your tongue or it's hard. It's, it's easy to bite your tongue on this one. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is if you take a look at all the back taxes that we're hit with, right. Section 37 parkland contribution development charges, um, the, the t- Toronto green standards are making, making things even more difficult now in terms of what our building has to look like. Uh, no, you know the, the the carbon like those kinds of things that are really important are also driving up the cost. Right. Yeah, like, because like, it's getting pushed through to the buyer, but and it's a pass through straight to the buyer.
2: Exactly, but does no one recognize that? Well, it's, it seems insane seem to me. I, the, I economists the,
1: will, the economists will the will tell you, well, just pay less for land,
0: and that's exactly <laughs> the answer that we've had from a whole and, crazy. and politicians like, will say that to <laughs> us too. Pay yeah. less for land. So now you have somebody that owns. A parking lot uh, in downtown Toronto or somewhere in the GTA that looked at their parking lot as a potential residential condominium site. Uh, they'll just wait. Of course, they're, they're in no hurry. That someday, someday it'll it'll be worth that again. So we'll just wait, um, which goes back to the availability of product. There'll become a housing shortage again. This will become who, a who blinks first kind of discussion at a table somewhere. But I sit on the board at Build, and these are the things that we talk about on a regular basis. And, and I, I've, I've chuckled a whole bunch of times when I've listened to politicians stand there and talk about the fact that we need more affordable housing, we need more supply. But then NIMBYism kicks in, and there's no damn way you're going to build that condominium in my riding. There's no way that we're going to allow you at Jane and Bloor to have 16 stories. The most you can have there is 12. But that'll be the same politician that'll sit in a round table and say, well, you know, affordability and product go hand in hand. And uh, we have to deal with this. Like, are you kidding me? It's, it's like, it's- like, don't be a politician. Be a leader. Honestly.
2: Exactly. That is my entire point. The pol- I forget his name, but there was an article in the, the local... Not the Bayview Post, the North Toronto Post, yeah. about this the proposal for Young and Davisville, right? Two big towers, and I'm reading this politician saying, "I'm going to use every tool in my toolkit to fight this. I will never allow this happen to our neighbors." I'm like, "You are on a subway stop. Yeah. This is the place that we should have density. You should be promoting this. The taxes, like the, that little node, needs people. It needs restaurants. It sucks. Like, how could you be a politician and?" You're like, like, be a leader,
0: be a leader, like, like,
2: like pave the way and, and do things properly. Like, right. where else do you want the density if you don't want it on top of a subway? <laughs> yeah, because, like, uh, other you're not going to put it in the neighborhood, right. right? Like, I I just it's just that's why I'm not one of on my um,
1: clients just bought right over here and they're fighting that one tooth yeah. and nail, all right? Yeah. So, like, I don't know how you sit on those build meetings and <laughs> <Well, so you laughs> not like lose your
2: mind. It's, like, it's, I, it's, I can't, I'm upset just listening to you say that. Hey, it's, it's, incredible. Incredible.
0: <laughs> it's incredible how you will hear politicians literally talk out of both sides of their mouth they Crazy. talk about and, and and you know the whole affordability um affordable housing. Like, i'm not even sure what affordable housing is <laughs> i'm not think, sure i don't even think they are i don't know that any anybody could t- give me a definition of what affordable housing means does it mean you want to put affordable rentals below market rentals in a condominium? I, I'm not sure what that does to the value of the condominium, and I'm not sure that the buying that, that people that are buying condominiums are are going to be open to that. I I, I don't know. I could be completely wrong, but my sense is, uh, b- by the way, we do get that all the time. We get that question on a, on a, on from from people that are buying condominiums because it's still the affordable alternative to ownership. Yeah. They they worry about those kinds of things in buildings. Well, they're, like, they're saying if I'm going to buy a unit for twelve hundred.
2: Bucks a foot. Right. Is my neighbor going to get to buy it for four hundred bucks a foot? Right. And and then what's the demographic?
1: Well, of the Well, someone on Twitter said that it should be thirty percent inclusionary housing. I mean, it should just come out of the developers'
0: super profits. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know the, the amazing the amazing yeah. thing about developers that I that I always chuckle about. And I, I've literally had this conversation with a number of um, politicians. Yeah. They'll talk to us about our profitability, and we sit there and we and, and I've had the discussion where. Our profits, um, we first of all, all the risk is on us. A hundred percent of the risk is on us. We have no nobody that's gonna partner on the risk side with yeah, us. Yeah, no one's gonna backstop that. For and at the end of the day, if we don't have a certain profit margin, we can't get construction financing. Ben, how many times have I yeah, said yeah, this? Steve said it, uh, <laughs> like, said it a million times. And, and and you know what? And you 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 look at pro forma's all the time every day, as a construction lender. Every day. When you take a look at how barely financeable projects are, barely financeable projects are, and you see the profit margin that are barely financeable, banks aren't going to let a project go through their risk, uh, their, their risk departments unless there's a certain percentage of profit. And apparently that profit is mega million profits, super according profit, to a super, apparently. super profit. Super profits. Apparently that's how <laughs> it's defined. Well, without them, We're not building. You're not building. We're not building. There's not a bank
2: in Canada or a financial institution in Canada that will give you any kind of construction financing if your profits aren't at least... Twelve percent. Yeah, that was the number. They, like, the it number. has to be. And, and because the error for margin is so great in this business, like, you, use, you go through your contingency pretty quickly, especially, I mean, the big towers, there's more contingency, there's more room for error. But, yeah. I mean, some of these boutique buildings we see that are 75 units, you're literally a, a tiny mistake away from eroding your entire profit, you are. that 12%. So, as a bank, you know that, and these guys, you know, and for every guy who makes tons of money, there's... Hundred that don't, yeah, there really are, and lots of guys lose their shirt in this business. It's a yeah.
0: very, very sensitive. From a financially speaking, it's a very, very sensitive industry we're in, it is, and yeah, it's. Yeah. It, it, and it's, you know, when we don't, and you know what, we're always going to be the big bad guy too. No matter like, what like, you do, no matter yeah. what we do, yeah. um, and it's it, it, it. The whole affordable housing thing is a is a really interesting discussion, and it's one that we're willing to participate in like you know we're we're more yeah. than happy to do it i i don't know where section 37s come into this i don't know you, you know where inclusionary zoning has has worked real well they'll have 10% inclusionary zoning in places like london england but guess what they do when you when you offer up that 10% they give you an extra five floors uh, so they'll say to you look it's great that you're going to offer an affordable opportunity for people to live in this particular building and you know what for that mr developer cuz you're a good guy we're going to give you another three you floors it of it.
2: Yeah.
0: right That's not the case here. There's nobody in Toronto that's going to do that. There isn't a councillor in the city. I've been banging that drum forever. I'm like, if you want inclusionary zoning,
1: city, you pay for it. You speed up approvals, you give them more density, right. you you know lower their DCs, Section 37, building permit. Yeah, it's you, something that you, you're, you're giving yeah, a, right, you giving them in exchange are, to pay for that those units, yeah, right? One
2: thing you said there, it's true, because a lot of these times, we do a lot of land financing, right? So you buy a piece of land, you got to take it through the entitlement process. I bet you, you'd be, actually, this is a great question for you. I mean, today, when I first started, so I've been doing this for 10 years, we used to write land loans at 12 months. So it was a 12-month deal and you could get your planning appro- approval. Approximately, you know, usually we, we, we'd bake in two, three-month extensions. So you're like a year and a half, 18 months to get your approvals. Oh, now boy, we're doing, I would love that. Now we're doing two-year land loans with year extensions because you yeah. know it's taking you four years, right? Yeah. And the cost of that, that's <laughs> huge. It's, it's huge, huge. Like, especially yeah. with the land prices these days. So like Ben said, you get that back down to six months, there you go. That's your inclusionary zoning. That's your affordable housing. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure when you started at Tridel, you're like, what, you guys were probably six months six, a year? Six,
0: eight months, sure. Imagine it. Yeah. imagine that yeah that now, now the city like like you know you that you'd think that they would be motivated to get product out the door you'd think and it's just not it's just not toronto there's a lot of municipalities and sure. probably yeah. in the province that that you know will, will turn the red tape into something that could be defined a hundred percent would be yeah. defined and understood in the process that we have to go through to get zoning done. Yeah. No question about it. Uh, it's 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 over two years now,
2: at least. Yeah, it's
0: over two years yeah. now, and you're probably seeing that. If you said on the land you're seeing that. Well, so. we're
2: seeing. It, I mean, with the organized groups that are sophisticated, that have an office, that have been through the process, that have you know a little bit of political sway at, at the city, uh, you yeah. can get it done in two two and a half years. But yeah. the groups that haven't done it before and think it's easy, because there's a lot of people trying to come in and be, become develop. Oh, I could do that that looks easy good luck yep. actually, i actually had a client on kingston road this is a true story we financed he bought uh, um he bought like two sites kitty corner to each other we was going to build we're going to build them at the same time it's where the big carrot is now it's not kingston road it's it's north that's where beaches. my office is yeah up there um and he it was two two buildings same condo corp by the time he bought zoned and built the condo. He tried to buy the corner, or he he tried to buy the pro- property beside him, but it was a no-name guy who who bought it. So he couldn't do a bigger assembly. He said, "Whatever, I'll just build without you." By the time he bought, zoned, and built, the guy next door hadn't even started construction. Yeah, had just got his approvals. Because he didn't necessarily know what he was doing, so it does make a difference if you have a yeah. operation and, and you've been through it. But yeah. yeah, anyways, it's not an easy business, and um, yeah. well, you know, we could we, there's can run, we right can rant about planning That doesn't forever. make it easier. Yeah, but I did yeah. have
1: one 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 more question before we go into our rapid fire. Um, obviously, with COVID happening, I, I saw I saw that you guys are. Um, you're doing a HVAC system that can clean the air. Is that something different than you've done uh, that you were doing before? And is that, has that been like a response
0: to COVID? Yeah, it's been a response to COVID. So what we're, what we're trying to do is understand um, different products that are out there to put into our, our, uh, our heating and cooling, our HVAC systems, as you mentioned, that will uh, circulate the air at a much quicker time. Um, if it used to be, 12 minutes, we're going to cut that into six and it's 99% guaranteed to eliminate uh, germs in the air that could could be COVID germs. These HEPA filters um,
2: with the HEPA filter. Yeah, and, it's, yeah. it's
0: the, the technologies are, are changing literally every single day. Uh, the technologies that are out there, they can't say that it's a hundred percent, but it looks like it's a hundred percent. So uh, yeah, we're we're going to uh, we're going to be moving forward on our on our construction starts with that, uh, with, the, with those materials put into our uh, our heating and cooling systems. Very cool.
2: Yeah. Well, listen, we've been we've been about an hour and we've gone late and I apologize, but thanks no for uh, sticking around to finish this off. So we usually like to finish with a little of what we call uh, rapid fire, uh, back and forth, quick quick questions, quick answers. You know, try and keep it under uh, five to ten words if possible. <laughs>
1: It can be a, it can be a yes or a no. A yes yeah. or a you don't no. have to explain yourself, we'll just move on to the next question. Yeah, yeah. We
2: have uh, we have a few written down, but uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to Ben to get us started. Okay. And uh, I we'll don't know if I'll, any listeners ever make it this far into the episode. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: <laughs> so don't
2: worry, you can say whatever you want. Okay, okay There's here we go. Here now. we
1: go. Will interest rates go up n- next year due to high inflation. Yes. Is Airbnb a positive or a negative
2: for the new development industry? Negative. Mm-hmm. What's better, a rooftop pool or an indoor pool? An indoor pool. We all enjoy going to conferences and networking. Do you think virtual conferences are worth the time? I hope not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, is hiring a architect worth it?
2: No, it's not. McDavid or Matthews? Uh, Marchant.
0: <laughs> Actually, I was gonna put I was gonna put my next
2: question. Marner or pasta? <laughs> pasta.
1: <laughs> Good Boston boy. <laughs> is is it true that the girl that climbed the crane at your project went up to the top and said Plaza is the best company? In the GTA. God, I hope not. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Whatever God. happened with her? Did you guys <laughs> catch her, or no, was that we a- we, uh, we didn't charge her? No. Um, like we we didn't charge. Can her, I just so. ask you one question? When you woke up that morning <laughs> and you put you- on the news, you want to hear the story? That, <laughs> left, Definitely. So I don't sleep. Okay. I, I just I don't sleep. Right. So. I, I, uh, on purpose or on I, I don't know. So I'm rolling around. It's like 4 in the morning. I flip the TV on, and I'm watching CP24. Yeah.
1: It's <laughs> like see, a good start. So,
0: so all of a sudden, it's like there's a person hanging from a crane at Young and Wellesley. I'm like, oh, wow. Crane. Young and Wellesley. We're the only ones with a crane. <laughs> I've been <you> know? there. <laughs> so... I, I, like, I don't really know what to do, right? Like I'm not sure how to handle this. Like, <laughs> like how do I find out about this, yeah. right? So I, I sent a text to two of our construction guys. They answered me immediately. Yeah. Like, this is at four in the morning. Yeah, we're on our way down there. I'm going, oh, my God, it is us. So now I'm wide awake, and I've got Mark Morrow is on his way down there. Mike Saliba is on his way down there. We've got we've got guys that are working, uh, like that that are responsible for that site that are on their way down there and that are there, and like so now it's like the phone calls are every five seconds back to me, Um, and it's like you're not going to believe this like she's she's sitting, she's sitting on the boom. Oh my god! <laughs> how does this happen? Like you like, like I'm there, and there. There's no way that anybody can climb that thing yeah. and then shimmy down. Have you guys ever ever put your hands on one of the uh, on on the on the cable? It's like you, you you'll cut your hands. It's like barbed wire, on, right? It's like barb- yeah. It's like steel. And how did she do this at four in the morning? 20, 250 feet in the air, and it's it's two degrees Celsius outside. Wow. Like, I don't, like, how did she do this? <laughs> so sure enough, that's, this is n- now the sun's coming up Yeah, and the live eyes are there and they've got, and I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is unbelievable. But you know, the Plaza logo's everywhere. But the truth is all I could think about was please don't fall. No, of oh, course. That's, like that's don't fall for so one. many reasons. Like it, it, it like, this will be horrible if she doesn't get out of this thing. Um, We'll be shut down for months and months and months. Um, and, then the, and then everybody saw what happened. The firefighter was probably the bravest guy I've ever seen to go up there. This is not something that they trained for. That day probably cost us $100,000 wow. at least. Because you were shut down, or yeah, because we were reasons? shut down. Here, here's the other crazy thing: we were pouring concrete. Oh, I was going to say, don't tell me how to pour that day. Yeah, we did. Oh, and, the, and guess where the trucks all are? At four o'clock in the morning, They're coming down Lined the North up. Valley Parkway to get there. Right, so gee, they, they they they're going to start to stage. All, all that's all that material is is ruined. Toast. Yeah. Every all the like, you're you're talking like 60, 70 employees, uh, men and women in the construction field that like that are actually on site are are. Gonna to have to stay home for a day or two. Now it's gonna cost you at least forty thousand dollars to make sure that we get the crane signed off that that it's not damaged. Because can you imagine that? No, no. Um, like like it was a very very expensive day for us. Do you put an insurance claim in for something? No, like that? it's not worth it's it. Not worth it. No, yeah. it's a write off. Yeah, it was a write off and. Um, the media was calling me every five minutes wondering what we were going to do with her. Well, what are we going to do with her? Like this thing would have gone to court five years later and it was like, hey, some big bad developer exactly. went after some kid's parents. Like it, was, it wasn't going to be worth it to anybody. Um, hopefully she learned her lesson.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, uh, we, we, did get, we did get, you know, we were on CNN. We were on all over Europe. Uh, somebody I know. An, somebody I know. Hey, listen, no, Kong no Kong press side. is bad press, right? no press or whatever is bad is, press. Or. Except for the fact that if she'd started yelling, Plaza is the greatest. That might have been.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love Scott. Do you guys know Scott? <laughs> I,
0: I think that's a great place, Dan. That's such
1: a great story. Yeah, oh, interesting boy. story. Let's, so, uh, let's call girl. it. Yeah. So I, I, I had s-
2: a, I had one good question Oh, Wait, my, my duck size question. I have to wait till the next episode. All right. Yeah,
1: we'll get you. We'll get we'll it's we'll good, we'll, right. we'll get them on again. Yeah. We'll get him on again. So 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 where do they find if someone wants to find you what's the website uh, you want social media yeah on-
0: we do of course we're, 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 we do all those kinds of things our, our website is uh, plazacorp.com which will bring you into a website that has all the plaza related companies uh, uh, pureplaza.com is also our, our, uh, our website that is uh, strictly our, uh, our residential real estate end um, and all of our all of our projects are there um, you can Google Plaza Corp and get all kinds of information from all kinds of uh, of industry professionals that follow our brand and uh, and yeah, there's many many ways to. What about to, what about Twitter? Could we find you on Twitter anytime soon? It's not me personally, no, but we do have a Twitter <laughs> account. The court the company does.
2: And what about uh, in the hockey world? Will we ever ever see you uh, make a reappearance? Maybe as a owner of a team, maybe buy a junior B team as a coach, GM.
0: Any, any uh... Note no all the above. Uh, okay. No interest. <laughs> just a no, fan? I just, I, I, you know what? I, I, so I, I don't know if you know, but after I played hockey, I worked for the Bruins for eight seasons. I was their OHL scout here. That's how you got the tickets, right. by the way. Oh, yeah. I was working for them at the time. And uh, um, I really enjoyed it. And I really became a fan of the organization. I think the organization does things the right way. And I think that's why they're successful. They, they don't overpay. It's hard, not,
2: it's hard to agree with you as a Leafs fan, but it's hard not to agree with it's you it's as true. a hockey fan. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's, and, it's true. You're and, absolutely and, right.
0: And somehow they convince guys that should be making $11 million a year uh, uh, <laughs> to, play, to play for seven. Because if, you're making, if you've got too many guys making 11 you can't win a Stanley Cup. <sighs> You just not. You're not going to win a Stanley Cup. Note, note to listeners from Maple Leafs fans. End episode now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's you know I've always been a fan of the way that they they've run their business. They, yeah. I think they do a
2: really good job. But no no uh, aspirations or no. longing to get back into the game.
0: No, I skate with the alumni guys a couple times a week. Not lately. Yeah, that's why honestly, I'm fat now. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. join the club. Tell me about it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> maybe maybe uh, maybe in maybe I'll. I'll Pull the old skates out and <laughs> put an industry <laughs> skate together, something like yeah, that. Yeah,
0: uh, fun. We can. Do, we gotta do something fun when this all ends. We do know? have a. We have a really good skate. Like we, we, it's probably I don't know, twelve or thirteen ex-NHL guys, and then other guys that have either played college or in the OHL or Canadian college, and they're back. If we have a really good skate. It's
2: is fun, Eric awesome. part of that skate? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and Is Max Taylor? Yeah, Max is on that yeah, skate. Max yeah, yeah yeah, that yeah. Skate. yeah, yeah.
0: I was actually just talking to him earlier today. Oh, were you? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. Now, tell him I tell him I disagreed with you when you brought that up. He's came to it. Well, he, he could he, fly. Uh, he's still in good shape. Yeah, he could fly. Yeah, out. yeah. I know I'm that. like wow. the oldest guy out there. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, thank you again for for being on the show Appreciate and it. Big uh, time. and uh, yeah, good luck with the rest of the sales at 400 King. Not forty. Not forty. 400K. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. All this is right. great. Any time. Appreciate I
2: really it. enjoyed it. Thanks.